Okay, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Hope Church. It's so good to see you, those in person, those watching online. It's uh, really good um, to be together, to worship together, uh, and I'm really excited. We're going to look at God's Word together. Now, many of you will know we are in a preaching series entitled Hidden Figures in the Easter Story. We're looking at some of the lesser-known characters and the role they played in the Easter story. So far, we've looked at Judas Iscariot. Uh, we've looked at Simon of Cyrene. And last week, Charles looked at Barabbas. Today, we're going to look at Joseph of Arimathea. So let me just tell you a few things about Joseph of Arimathea before we look at the scripture that he is mentioned in. So Joseph was, you might have guessed it, from a town called Arimathea. That was where he was from. And uh, he was a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin. So he was on an assembly of 71 rabbis who kind of held court and made the laws and kept the order amongst uh, the Jewish people. It was a position of prominence. He was a wealthy and an influential man. And for the, for the lifetime of Jesus, so for the three years of Jesus' ministry, um, Joseph was a secret disciple. So he kind of believed, but he wasn't telling the world about it. But when Joseph saw Jesus crucified for his faith on Good Friday, Joseph's faith came alive. And we read, and it's in all four Gospels. Joseph Ramathia is mentioned in all four Gospels. We read in Mark's Gospel that he went boldly to Pilate. So it's like something broke within Joseph. It's like, you know, I've seen Jesus crucified on the cross, and now I'm out there. I'm stepping out of the shadows, and I'm stepping boldly to proclaim that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. He boldly went to Pilate. He wanted to honor the one that he'd been secretly following for the last number of years. I think it's fascinating that all the disciples fled when Jesus was crucified. Peter ran away and denied Jesus. Even uh, the apostle John, even wonderful John, the beloved John, ran away. They all denied and legged it from Jesus. But at that moment, Joseph, the secret disciple, steps forward and says, here I am. Can I have the body? Can I look after Jesus' burial? He came to the forefront. Let's read one of the accounts that tells us what Joseph did. We're going to read from Luke's gospel. But as I said, uh, Joseph Arimathea is mentioned in all four of the gospels. Let's read Luke 23, verses 50 to 53. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and an upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, 
one in which no one had yet been laid. So Joseph went to Pilate, and Pilate gave the body of Jesus to Joseph of Arimathea. It tells us in John's Gospel, and we'll come to this a bit later, that Nicodemus was also with Joseph. And the two of them embalmed the body with the spices, which made them richly unclean. They then wrapped the body in linen and laid it in a tomb. They sacrificed their time, their reputation, and their money. And we must remember that they didn't know what was going to happen on Sunday. They didn't know on the evening of Good Friday that there was a resurrection around the corner. They didn't know that. They stepped out of the shadows. They sacrificed their reputation and their finances and their time and that they made themselves richly unclean, not knowing what was coming. They had nothing to gain from stepping out and boldly saying that they were followers of Jesus Christ. Now, we, it's interesting, we learn in verse 51 there that Joseph hadn't consented to Jesus' death. He, he was actually not part of the Sanhedrin majority who had voted for Jesus to be crucified. He, he was kind of like silently hanging back, silently not putting himself with the majority. But here, at this moment, he steps forward and professes his faith in Jesus Christ. Now, as Christians in 2022, we all of us wrestle with reluctance to step forward and publicly tell others that we are Christians. We all wrestle with fear and intimidation from those in our workplaces or society in general. We, we, we feel that if we step out and talk about Jesus, we'll be ridiculed for our belief or, or ridiculed that we would trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We, we feel very alone. We, we, we feel like we're different in our workplace or with our friends or with our family. And we ask the question, how do I find courage to speak out? How do I navigate the complexities of having a Christian faith in 2022 in the workplace? How do I navigate this tricky, difficult life that I'm in? And what I want to tell you is, and we're going to look at it now, Joseph is such a helpful character to look at. Because Joseph is good news for ordinary people like you and me. You see, he serves God, but he doesn't fully understand what is going on. And his small acts of faithfulness have a big impact. I think Joseph, many of us should be able to relate to on many different levels. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at five things that Joseph teaches us. Number one, Joseph teaches us how to use our influence. So in Mark's gospel, Mark 15, verse 43, again about Joseph, it says this, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Joseph had influence. He, he was a leader and he had influence. The Chinese proverb about leadership is that leadership 
is influence. And Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was educated in scripture. He, he was part of this law court that, that governed the, the Jewish people. And he knew that most of the people in the council did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But he didn't go along with that. He silently believed. He silently and cautiously followed Jesus. And he all the time was stewarding his influence. And I think at church, we, we can talk a lot sometimes about stewarding our finances. But what Joseph did was he stewarded his influence. We talk about giving and tithing, which is right and good and proper, how we steward the finances and the riches that God has given us. But, but influence is more difficult to steward. It's interesting in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16, Jesus talks about us being the salt of the earth. Salt enhances and preserves. And you see, we all have influence. Every single one of you has influence. The question is, how do you steward and use that influence? If you're a mother of children, you will steward the influence that you have over your children, about the activities that, that you do for them, the, the, the way that you bring them up. It's all about stewarding your influence. If you manage people at work, whether it be two people or, or a team of 50 people, all the time you have an influence on the culture that you create at work. How are you going to steward that influence that you have? In your family, as, as a husband or as, as a dad, if you, in your family you have, how am I going to steward the influence that God has given me? How am I going to be encouraging and supporting? How am I going to bring the Christian faith into the household? In our friendship groups that we have, uh, the people we go to the pub with or the people we, we go to coffee with or go to a cinema with or whatever we do, how do we, we, we steward the influence that we have in that group? How do I speak to other people? How do I create a culture that is, that is one that is positive and builds people up and not that is critical and pulls people down? You see, influence is not always visible. It's not always kind of from the platform. Influence is what people have kind of behind the scenes. Listening to the voice of God and saying, God, how Will I use the influence that you have given me in the circle of influence that you have placed me in? Jesus Christ was the ultimate example of how to steward and use influence. To serve others, to care for others, and to look out for others. How do you steward the influence that God has given you? Joseph, Joseph Ramathea is a great example of being given influence, which he stewarded to use for glory, for ultimate glory of Jesus. Second thing, not only from Joseph can we learn how to steward our influence, we can also learn how to wait. Luke 23 and verse 51 says of Joseph, he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Now, we don't like to wait as a society, do we? I don't like to wait. If I have to wait more than two minutes for a bus, I'm starting to get annoyed. You know, we don't like to wait at traffic lights. We don't like to wait 
at the checkout. We don't like to wait for a promotion at work. It's like delay is, is a dirty word. We, we lose patience with life or with things if we don't get them the moment that we want them. I don't want to wait to get married. I don't want to wait to have children. I don't want to wait for God to remove the obstacles. I don't want to wait for that promotion or job that I feel that I'm called to do. Joseph was expectantly waiting for the Messiah, like all Jews were at that time. But all the Jews had a particular framework for the Messiah, a framework that said the Messiah would come and defeat the Romans. The Messiah would come and liberate them from captivity. But Jesus didn't fit that model. Jesus wasn't like that at all. But Joseph was still captivated by Jesus. It just didn't fit his framework of what a Messiah should be, but he was still captivated by Jesus. And so he waited for Jesus to make himself known. You see, Joseph models to us a proactive and an active waiting. Patience and waiting for God to reveal himself in our lives. I love the Hebrew word for waiting, which is quava. And that Hebrew word has, has two sides to it. One side is to bind together, a bit like if you're braiding someone with long hair. The other side is to hope or expect or, or look expectantly. So I love that word quava, which means wait. It's like God says, I want you to bind together a patient waiting for hope and expectation. That, that, that's waiting. That's, that's scriptural, biblical waiting. It has a confident expectation to it. That we trust someone that the Lord Almighty is binding things together, weaving together purpose, weaving together our lives for what he has for us. Waiting is, is not inactive. It is a trusting, a hope that there is a future and that there is a plan. I love Simeon in Luke chapter 2. Simeon, the old man, who was waiting for the coming of the Messiah. He was waiting expectantly for the coming of the Messiah. It's the same word they used, that he is waiting expectantly. Patiently, knowing that God is weaving all things together, even though he's an old man, he's waiting, waiting, waiting. And then Jesus is shown to him as a little baby, and he knows that that waiting has been fulfilled. He has seen the Messiah. He has seen Lord Jesus. Jesus doesn't fit into our frameworks and ideas. He doesn't. He smashes our preconceptions. He doesn't fit our time scale. But with Jesus, we are to wait expectantly like Joseph did. Looking forward confidently, knowing that God is binding all things together and at work in our lives. So Joseph shows us how to wait. Shows us how to steward our influence, shows us how to wait. And thirdly, shows us how to steward our wealth. Matthew 27 verse 57 says that Joseph was a rich man. Now, it's always a challenge for those who are rich 
to know who possesses me. Am I possessed by my riches and my treasures? Or am I possessed by thy Lord Jesus Christ who loves me and is for me? And you know what is always challenging? All of us in this room are in the rich man category. In terms of the world we live in today, all of us are in the rich man category. And Joseph is a great example to us because he was a man with money, but not a lover of money. He was a man who had huge riches and resources, but was not controlled by them. He stewarded his wealth well. Through Joseph's wealth, he could afford the tomb which Jesus was buried in and three days later came back to, came back to life to give glory to God. You see, generosity is a real uh, hallmark of faith. Just listen to these words from 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but set their hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You see, it's not about stockpiling our earthly treasures. Everything we have is a gift from God. The breath that we breathe is a gift from God. The clothes on our back, the food that we eat, the homes that we are in, the money in our pockets, it is all ultimately a gift from God. So we are to then live out of that generosity. The gospel is God's generosity to mankind to die in our place. We then are called to be generous and live out of the generosity that we have received. We're to live out of the generosity that we have received. I love talking about generosity in three ways. I say generosity is your time, your talents, and your treasures. Your time, your talents, and your treasures. Be generous in all of those areas of your life. Now, for some of you, you may say, well, I don't have many treasures. I don't have much financially. But you can be generous with your time. You can be generous with your gifts and your talents. You can be generous in all or some of those areas. Generous with your time. Be generous in your relationships with others. Be generous with giving them time, with phoning them up, with messaging them, with meeting up with them. Be generous in giving of yourself to others. Be, be generous in your gifts and your talents. Use the gifts and talents that you have to serve the church, to, to serve others around you. And then use your treasures. Use your treasures to tithe to God's church and to give generously to others. We're to give generously. Joseph gave what he had, a tomb. It was of more value than he could have ever imagined to then participate in the eternal events of Jesus being rose from the dead. So steward our finances, steward our riches. Joseph teaches us about this. Fourth thing of five, Joseph teaches us how to be bold for Jesus. Mark 15 and verse 43 we read it already, but it says there that Joseph took courage and went to Pilate. Can you imagine for a minute? You see, 
Joseph would have watched the crucifixion earlier that day. And I'm sure in his mind he would have thought, what could I have done more? Could, could I have been bolder in the Sanhedrin? Could I, have, could I have shouted and stood up for Jesus more? Could I have helped more? Could I have done more to stop him being crucified? Maybe my resources and my privilege and my position, maybe I should have done more with what God had given me. And the pressure of a particular situation means that we have a choice. We have a choice. The pressure of the situation that Joseph was in gave him a choice. And he chose to stand up and boldly go to Pilate. That's what Joseph chose to do. But think, you see, Peter, James, and John, they had the same pressure of the crucifixion, of feeling they could have done more, of feeling they could have stood up for Jesus, of feeling they could have fought the Romans more. They could have done more. And how did they respond to the pressure? They ran away. They legged it. They denied Jesus. So we have the pressure of the crucifixion. We have a disciple who's responding by running away and denying Jesus. We have Joseph responding by standing up publicly, going to Pilate, identifying as a Christian, and taking the body at great cost and putting it in his tomb. Why do you think, why do we think that Joseph did that? I think it was because he spent time with Jesus over the years. He saw the wonder of the cross and it impacted his heart. He saw the sacrifice. He saw the crucifixion. He saw what Jesus had done. And then I'm sure there was the inner conviction of the Holy Spirit convicting him to act, to be bold, to do something. And it was Joseph's moment to shine. It was Joseph's moment to step out of the shadows and come to the fore. But here's the thing. All of us get multiple opportunities to stand up and take a step forward for Jesus. We get multiple opportunities. Joseph had missed many up until that point. But this moment, he chose to step forward boldly and take a stand for Jesus. Peter had messed up left, right, and center, denying Jesus running away. It's not till Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 that it says that he stepped forward amongst opposition and boldly proclaimed the gospel. The point is this. We will all have many times when we don't step forward boldly and stand up for Jesus. We will all have many times when we deny Jesus, when we run away, when we're nowhere to be seen. But there comes a time when Jesus speaks to each one of us and says, because of the time you spent with me, because you've had a fully realization of the power of the cross and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, speaking to you, speaking to you, now is your moment to step out of the shadows and boldly say, here I am, a believer in Christ. Here I am, a Christian. Here I am, one who loves and, and wants to tell you the gospel. We all will mess up. We all will get it wrong. We all will have moments when we run away. But this is Joseph's moment. 
when he steps up and takes that bold step forward. He steps out of the shadows. I want you to encourage each of you that there's a moment for each of us to step out of the shadows and step out and step up for Jesus. There's a moment for each one of you to do that as we spend time with Jesus, as we meditate on the cross, and as the Holy Spirit convicts us and speaks to us. Last thing that Joseph teaches us. Joseph teaches us how to work in partnerships. Let me read from John's Gospel, chapter 19, and verses 39 to 40. Nicodemus also, who had earlier come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and spices, about 75 pounds in weight. So they, that's Joseph and Nicodemus, took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of Jews. Joseph and Nicodemus both together took the body of Jesus. Joseph did not act alone. I find it fascinating that the two secret disciples, Nicodemus, who was fearful of the Jewish authorities, so came to see Jesus at night in John chapter 3, and Joseph of Arimathea, who was a secret disciple on the Sanhedrin, both of them were the ones who came and stepped up boldly at the moment of Jesus' death, while all the other disciples who'd been at the forefront, Peter, James, John, and all these guys, they were nowhere to be seen. But the two secret disciples are there asking for the body, to, to embalm it in the spices, to wrap it in the linen, and go through the Jewish rituals before it was placed in the tomb. Nicodemus and Joseph worked in partnership. Think about it, it would have taken two people to carry the body of a 33-year-old man. That they shared the grief. They shared that the spices, the wrapping in linen, the carrying it to the tomb. They helped one another. And I love that. That's a picture for me of the body of Christ. People working together. The church, you see, is about partnerships. It's about people working together. I love Acts chapter 2, that the picture of the early church is a picture of community. It's a picture of partnerships. It's a picture of one helping another and another helping another. Jesus himself, even when he was on the earth, he worked in partnerships. He had his disciples. He had his three. He had his 12. He had his 72. Jesus worked in partnerships. It's interesting, in Matthew chapter 18, it says when Jesus is speaking, he says, where two or three agree, Jesus takes notice. It says that Jesus was talking, he says, you know, where two or three of my brothers agree, then I'm there. I, it's like, well, well, if believers agree together to do something together, mission together, to, to pray together, to study God's word together, then I'm there because I love partnership. And I love people working together. And I love that community aspect. It's what I modeled, Jesus said, on earth. Jesus wasn't this lone ranger who went through life without anyone close to him. No, he modeled community. He modeled partnership. 
And for Hope Church, for us as a church, we want to be about community. We want to be about partnership. Saying we can't do it on our own. We can't do it as one lone ranger. We can't do it as one or two people doing their own thing. No, no, it works when people come together. When people share their gifts, share their talents and work together. I love that. If you say, I want to grow in maturity with Christ. I want to grow, grow in maturity. Well, the best way of doing that is in partnership with other believers. After Easter, we're going to be relaunching community groups. They've been running uh, over the last couple of years, but we're going to put a big focus and relaunch the community groups here at Hope Church because as a church, we believe that the best place we can grow together is in community, is with one another. Also, when it comes to serving on a Sunday, when it comes to people doing things in the life of the church, it's so important we say, well, here I am and I'll play my part. Here I am, I'll help with the kids. Here I am, I'll help with tech. I'll help with doing the words on the Sunday. I'll help where I can. And together, there's this, there's this partnership of together serving, together helping one another. And mission, when it comes to mission, as a church, we want to do things together. We want to we link with others, other like-minded organizations, and say, we're going to do mission Together, many of you will know what we do with young people through Young Life and Hope Church is a partnership. It's a partnership that, that works well because it's, it's two doing more than one on their own. See, it's partnership that God loves. It's partnership that God blesses. When we do mission overseas, we love to partner with Colombia or partner with Zimbabwe or partner with India and say, we will partner with you, whether through finance, whether through prayer, whether through sending people to you, whatever it may be. But we'll say together as partnership, this is what works. This is what sees fruit. As a church, we're part of a commission, part of New Frontiers. It's like a worldwide family of churches and say, well, together we can do things. The Ukraine Fund, we're, we're giving money to a, a group of churches that can see things change on the ground in Ukraine and in Poland and in all those countries that surround the conflict. Because we say we want to partner. It's no good us sending £3,000 on our own to try and do something. We send that money to a bigger group that can see it go further and make a bigger difference. Joseph and Nicodemus would have never imagined the power that came from their partnership. They never would have imagined when they placed that body on the Friday evening into the tomb what they were doing and the impact and the significance of what they were doing. The power of that partnership. The power of what was about to come. Let me kind of conclude and, and wrap this up. Joseph, I believe, is a man of the small print. He really is one of the hidden figures of the Easter story. He's hidden, but he's hugely significant. Hugely. Because you've got to think about it. Joseph was the one who claimed the body from Pilate. What would have happened? What would have happened if Joseph hadn't gone to Pilate to claim the body? What would have happened if Joseph hadn't, with Nicodemus, got their spices, embalmed the body, and wrapped it in linen, and put it in the tomb? What would have happened? 
It was integral to the whole of the Easter story. But from Joseph's point of view, all he was doing was doing what he could with what he had. I've got some money. I've got some influence. I've got a tomb. So I will do what I can with what I have got. Joseph did not feel particularly holy or, or like some preacher or some church leader. He was an ordinary businessman. He did what he could with what he had. And he was not to know the impact that those deeds would have in Scripture and in the plans and purposes of God. So let me land this with each of you. You've got to listen to this. We can feel insignificant. We, we call into question, what am I doing in my life? What purpose have I got? I'm doing my little job over here. Got my family, got my friends. I'm doing my little bit here, my little bit there. But sometimes we can be so clueless as to how it fits into any overarching purpose of God. We can feel so insignificant in the plans of God. But when you feel like that, I want you to remember Joseph. I want you to remember a wise, godly, diligent, courageous man who was positively waiting, who was expectantly waiting and trusting in God. He was a hidden figure like most of us feel in the world. We feel hidden figures. We feel like we're people of the small print. And just one final, final thought, because think about it. Because for Joseph, when he saw Jesus die on the cross, he had other choices. He did. Could have, he could have just, just gone into the sunset and never to be heard of again. He could have gone back to the Sanhedrin and took on a really kind of religious, ultra-Jewish role. Or he could have joined the zealots who would overthrow Rome. Jesus didn't do it, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to overthrow Rome. He had other choices, but he chose to go to Pilate. He chose to ask for the body. And his ordinary life had an extraordinary impact. Hope Church, each one of you, your life it's like a blank canvas. It's, it's like an easel. They're ready for color and ready for life. And the question I want you to think about as we close today is, what will you do with your life? You are not insignificant. God has plans and purposes that he will use in you and through you. We are here to bring light and to bring color into the world. I love the message version of Matthew 5, verse 14. Here's another way to put it. You're here to bring light. Bringing out God, colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public. We're going as public as a city on a hill. I love that, that phrase. We're here to bring light and color in the world. However insignificant you may be feeling, however much of a hidden figure you may be feeling, God says to each one of you, you're significant 
And you can bring color and life into this world. You have circles of influence. Steward it well. You have treasures, finances, riches. Steward it well. This is a moment to be bold. You may have messed up a thousand times, but this is your moment to step forward out of the shadows and be bold. There are partnerships because it's about partnerships, not doing it on your own. So look at where you can link arms. Look at where you can connect into the life of the church. Look at where you can serve and where you can make a difference. Joseph of Arimathea is a figure that all of us should be able to identify with. He's not a figure on a platform. He's not some holy preacher or, you know, man or woman of of great diligence of scripture and prayer. He's an ordinary man like each of us who gave what he could, who did what he could in the moment. And God blessed it incredibly. Jonathan and Adam, could you come up? Can we all stand? I want to pray for us in a very upbeat, kind of positive way. Upbeat and positive way. Because my heart from this morning is that we go out encouraged. That we go out with a fresh sense of purpose. You may be waiting You may be waiting for something to kick in that hasn't kicked in yet. You may be waiting for a promise that hasn't come yet. You may be waiting for for God to do things in your life that you are frustrated with. Well, let me tell you, God will say to you, wait expectantly. There's one who is at work binding things together. Wait like Simeon did. Wait like Joseph was. Waiting. Waiting proactively. Waiting looking forward. Let's pray, and then we're going to worship and celebrate and sing with purpose as we close. Let me pray. Father God, I want to pray for every person here, every person watching online, every person here in the building. My prayer is that each one of us would realize that we are significant. You are significant. God has given you talents. God has given you influence. God has given you treasure. God has given you partnerships. And he says, I want to use you. If you give me what you have, I will multiply it in my hands. Like a little boy who came to Jesus with his lunchbox. He gave it to Jesus and Jesus multiplied it and fed 5,000. Joseph gave his tomb. He didn't know where it would lead, but he gave it to Jesus. And look at what happened. The stone was rolled away. Light was bursting forth. And the world was transformed because death was defeated. Just open your hands before the Lord. Sometimes opening our hands before the Lord like this is a physical sign of just receiving. My prayer is for each one of you that you receive a fresh sense that you are significant. That each one of you is special before God. Each one of you has a plan and a part to play. 
Each one of you has something to contribute. We are a body. The church is a body. We need our fingers. We need our ears. We need our foot. We need our kneecap. We need every organ in our body. The body of the church is no different. We need every person playing their part, doing what they are called to do. Come, Lord, would you bring a fresh sense of significance to each one of us? Would we know the plans, the purposes, the part we have to play? Would we do what you have put in front of us? Would we do what you are speaking to us about even right now through your Holy Spirit? Come, Lord Jesus. Come and encourage your church. Come and let us, this be the moment when we take that step forward like Joseph did to Pilate. Come, Lord. We are your church. We are your people. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus.